Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So we have a big topic to discuss for this week's. But before we do that, as usual, there's a couple things we want to um, recap. We wanted to, to kind of bring up from last week, which has been on our minds. Um, and also that we've been in touch with listeners who, thank God, have been sharing their thoughts. And, uh, you know, as we always say, this is not a conversation between just the two of us. It's a conversation between us and all of our listeners. So thank you to all of you for being in touch. Um, the first thing I want to raise, Uri, is that um, in part of the conversation that we had talked about was specifically Peter Beinart's language that largely as a result of lobbying by Jewish organizations that the definition of anti-Semitism, according to the American government and the State Department, um, now includes opposing Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state. And uh, we had talked about this uh, this largely as a result of lobbying by Jewish organizations phrase, um, which we were we were disagreeing. And in that disagreement, I said explicitly that it was clear to me not only that that is true, which I still firmly believe, but that um, APAC takes specific credit for that sort of lobbying and for that working, quote unquote. And I said I would also bring sources for that. Uri, I did not bring sources for that because that is not, I could and I could not find anything explicit on that. So I'm, I'm, I want to say that explicitly. I can no longer say that that is true, and I'm, I shouldn't have said it in the first place without knowing it with absolute certainty before. And I still feel very comfortable. I just want to say that largely as a result of the lobbying by Jewish organizations, this is why the IRA definition has now been been kind of the one that the American government is most has chosen. But to to bring specific evidence like APAC, that's actually not true. So I should not have said that. So I, I walk that back and I apologize. I apologize to the listeners. I apologize to Uri. I apologize to APAC. I apologize to the State <laughs> Department. Deborah Listad, I assume you're okay. listening. I apologize to you. That's very gracious of you, Rifki. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> well, it's that. Not. It, was, it was a mistake. But Uri, is there anything that you also wanted to uh, talk yeah. about from last week? So, I mean, as you said, like just because they don't say that explicitly, it doesn't mean that, first of all, that they're not thinking it. It doesn't mean that it's not true. I, I don't think it's true. Obviously, there are... Right, but, but I said yeah. explicitly that they had been taking credit for it. Right, And that right. is definitely not true. Right. I, I don't think they would do that because it's just not smart of them to, to play into that, what's already a stereotype that the Jewish lobby has outsized influence. Um, so I don't think they... they that. I'll, if they were smart, that's not something that they would do, and I don't think I don't think it's something that they have done. If a listener uh, has a source for that, we would both um, certainly love to see it. So I, on that specific issue, um, it was very uh, interesting the timing of it because we spoke about that last week, and then over the weekend, I saw both in a Commentary magazine and in the New York Times book review there were reviews of this new book that I actually bought and I'm currently reading. It's called The Ark of a Covenant. By Walter, by Walter Russell Mead. Um, yeah, it's a good name. Um, he's, I don't think, is Jewish. But it's about, um, it, the, the title of the New York Times book review was A Nuanced History of the Forces Shaping U.S.-Israel Relations. And I just want to read a, a, a short excerpt from the review of the book. Despite all the information that Ark of a Covenant packs in, moreover, it never loses sight of a key argument, which is an extended attack on the, quote, rancid urban legend known as the Israel Lobby Theory. So and, and then he goes on and basically explains how uh, much of the book goes into that topic, which was discussed, I think, in the forefront of the media in like 2018, when Congresswoman Ilhan Omar uh, said that it's all about the Benjamins in reference to Jewish lobbying uh, and Israel policy of America. 
Okay, so first of all, there have been not just this book, many books and articles um, that give plenty of reasons and details and facts of why the Jewish lobby is not as influential as people think it is or claim it to be. But more important than that, um, and relating to the second thing that I wanted to just rehash a little bit from, from last week, was the thing that you kept saying to me about why we need to call something anti-Semitism, call it right. a lie, call it harmful, call it whatever. Basically that you were saying it's not helpful to call it anti-Semitism. Right. It's not useful, not it's use- distracting. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking about that all week and I was talking oh, to people about Ernie, it. Stop that. Uh, no, it's some because it's something that I is very important to me and I was it it felt I felt that I disagreed and I wanted to figure out why. And it's actually funny. This has happened right. before in our conversations where like you'll throw something at me that I wasn't exactly expecting because I, when I was re-listening to the episode, you kept saying it and I wasn't really responding to it. I just kept saying, well, that's anti-Semitism. That's anti-Semitism. And you were saying, well, why do you have to call it anti-Semitism? And I just kept saying anti-Semitism um, mm-hmm. because I guess I wasn't really ready for the challenge of like that term even being uh, questioning the helpfulness of, of that term. So the thing is, first of all, not all anti-Semitic claims are factual. Many of them are opinions or generalizations, things that are either things that are just not based on facts in general or things that are just impossible to disprove. The Israel lobby, who knows how much influence they have? Who knows what's in, like I said last week, in the brains of the politicians who make these uh, policies? It's impossible for us to know. And so therefore, it's, it's not so simple to just call it out as a lie. But furthermore, I would say that... <laughs> There is obviously a long, long, long and dangerous history of anti-Semitism and these types of claims that have been used for violence and oppression against Jews. So when somebody brings up a claim like that and makes a generalization like that and talking about the Jewish lobby, talking about outsized Jewish power and control affecting world events in a negative way, which is exactly what Peter Barnard does in that article... I'm not saying you can't criticize Israel. I'm not saying you can't criticize the Jewish lobby. But though that type of claim is the exact type of claim that has been used by anti-Semites throughout the centuries to harm Jews. So to not use that word doesn't make that clear connection to this from this current statement to all those past claims and libels against Jews. Now, it, that doesn't prove that the person making the current statement is evil or is wrong or is anti-Semitic. But to not use that word in the conversation, I think, misses a crucial part of what is going on. And, and, and I think part of that is also the context. It's not just the actual words that they're saying and whether or not they're true or false or exaggerated or not exaggerated. It's the general context of where they're coming from. And it's not simple. It's not black and white. But to take the word anti-Semitism out of the equation, I think, is doing a large disservice to understanding what is going on. Okay, so I just want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly. It seems like you have two arguments for why the language of anti-Semitism is important. The first one is that sometimes maybe it would be better, hypothetically, to say, no, actually, this is not true, and this is why. But sometimes we don't, we can't exactly say why it's not true, so therefore we can't 
do that? Yeah, I mean... And hold, hold on, yeah, and okay. I want to say this. So I, I guess I need clarity on that first one. Mm-hmm. And the second one, which I think I understand a little bit more, is that when you use language of anti-Semitism and you're not just saying, hey, here's a lie that is without context and just like kind of lives on its own, when you're using language of anti-Semitism, what you're also doing is you're tying it to the history of Jew hatred, right, as we talked about last week also. And it fits into a larger context and now people have a, have a stronger historical understanding of the danger Instead of just like, oh, someone said a lie about Jews, it's like, no, 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 this actually fits into this pernicious evil of lies about Jews that has thousands of years of history. And that's important. Pretty that's, much, I yeah. Think this, I think, I think okay. that's what I'm so, trying so to say. So can you explain the first one a little bit more, please? And then we should really get on to our actual today. <laughs> yeah, we should move on. Today. No, I mean, the, the, the point of the first one is that it's not just all about facts, and it's not just all about is, is the, what the person is saying, is that technically true or not? For example, if somebody was saying, I'm going to list you all the people in Congress that I have a problem with that I think are actually ruining America, and all the names on that list happen to be Jewish Congress people. He's just saying an opinion, and he, he might totally deny, oh, I didn't even know they were Jewish, whatever. But like, if you use your brain and put the pieces together, there's very clear evidence that this person is coming from a place of hatred or dislike or whatever negativity towards Jewish people. And so if you don't use the word anti-Semitism, it's much harder to you could say Jew hatred, but that's the same thing. Like how do you de- how do you argue against that or how do you expose the what you think are the ill intentions of that person without talking about something either the word anti-Semitism or something like it? Oh, I mean, I feel like I can answer that question, but I, I don't want to. I, I, Maybe I don't, that's not I, the I, best I example. I understand the argument, but I understand the argument more now. And I think, um, yeah, let, let's leave it at that okay. and, because, uh, you know, I don't want to get too, too into it. Fine. Um, but yeah, listeners, if you have thoughts, please, please share them. So let's just dive right into this week's topic. As most of you know, there has been a back and forth over years at this point about whether YU will allow the Pride Alliance Club to take place within Yeshiva University. The Pride Alliance Club was a group or is a group that is meant to be a student club for undergraduate students at Yeshiva College and Stern College to come together, have kind of like a, seems like some sort of social outlet, meet each other, um, LGBTQ students, allies, uh, you know, queer students, I think in general as well. Uh, the school did not allow the club. The There was a, a, a back and forth for a while. And the latest is that last week, the school petitioned and it, they're petitioning. They're trying to get it to be accepted by the Supreme Court of the United States to block this club from happening. Right, Rifki, just, just to clarify a tiny bit, I mm-hmm. think what it, the, the judge a few months ago ruled that YU has to allow the club and YU is appealing that decision. But in the meantime, while the appeal is going through, they were ruled that they, they have to allow it in the meantime. And they sent what's called, I didn't know this before, but they sent a stay, emergency stay request to the Supreme Court of the United States requesting the Supreme Court to say that while the appeal is being figured out, YU does, well, is allowed to keep the status quo and, and not allow the club until the mm-hmm. appeal process is finished, just right. okay. to, just to get it right with legally, I think that's sure, what sure, it is. sure. Um, yeah, I feel like the the legal stuff is the is the thing that I feel like I have the least grounding on. So I appreciate the clarification. Um, so in response to this kind of back and forth, um, there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of conversation around this issue. People 
pontificating on Twitter and Facebook and social media everywhere why you last week sent out this FAQ about the court case explaining why they felt like they had to uh, bring it to the next step, why it's so important to them, why they think the, the court, it's really a danger to Yeshiva University to allow the courts to be the ones to decide this issue and not the school themselves. Um, they especially, one of the questions in the FAQ got a lot of press. And that was the question, does Yeshiva University welcome LGBTQ students in its undergraduate schools? And I want to just read out loud the response so we have a little mm-hmm. context going into this. The response from YU, and I think written by Ari Berman, but who knows, was, absolutely, we welcome, love, and care for all our students, including our LGBTQ students. We place a specific emphasis of importance on supporting our LGBTQ students. There are a number of ways we express this support, including hosting an LGBTQ support group, requiring LGBTQ sensitivity training to all of our rabbis and faculty, and presenting public events so that all of our students better understand the experience of being LGBTQ and Orthodox. And of course, we uphold our strong anti-bullying and anti-discrimination policies. We understand that a number of our LGBTQ students think YU should be doing more for them, including establishing a student club. We had been engaging in a constructive dialogue with our students to work on building an even more inclusive campus experience. So. What I want to do, Uri, is I want to talk about the students' reaction to this, especially in the comments. Um, Beth Weiss, who I don't think either of us knows, put to put a video together with comments from Yeshiva University students and alums, vast majority of them being alums um, in the video itself, I think because so few YU students are out. But in the comments, a lot of anonymous uh, letters from current students. There's a man from, boy, man, they're kids, class of 2024, a woman from class of 2025, man from 2023, you know, stuff like that. Um, So before even diving into some of these quotes, which I think are really the the crux of the issue, I want to first read a letter from friend of the pod, Dina. Mm -hmm. It was a long letter, which I love, love long letters. Listeners, please keep it up. Um, But there's something that I want to specifically mention because it refers to something we talked about last week. Uh, And last week, for, for all the listeners, I'm sure you heard, uh, we talked about anti-Semitism, but we opened with just a quick kind of like letting people know that the Supreme Court step has happened in the YU Pride Alliance conversation. So this is from Dina, who's a friend of the pod. Hi, guys. I'll start with a disclaimer because we love those in the Talking Talkless community. I didn't finish listening to the episode. Here's where I stopped. Quote, Outsiders could have a misperception that there's some sort of like oppression going on at YU and students are scared to be open about being gay. And that's just not the case. End quote. And then Dina picks back up again. So let me clarify. First, I'd like to say this isn't my story. I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community, but my friends and the people I love most in the world are. I'm not a current student, but I am an alum, having graduated too many years ago with all of those friends who, I'd like to add, 99% of them were not out at the time. I am an ally and I work at the JQI Drop-In Center, where we provide a safe gathering place for LGBTQ plus 13 through 23 year olds, primarily from Orthodox homes. At JQI, we know of approximately 30 current students between both campuses who are queer. We know of two who are out. As for the plenty you claim to know, I hope that's true and that they exist and are so well adjusted and happy that they never have needed the welcoming JQI community. More likely, you're thinking of alumni, most of whom have come out since graduating. But even if it is true, there are still approximately 28 current students that we know of who are too scared to come out. Just because they haven't told you does not mean they don't exist. 
A club provides these kids with a space to breathe. In a school where there are teachers and Rebbies who say openly hateful things in classes and shirim and student WhatsApp group filled with hateful words, I have family members who are current students and they've shown me these threads, it lets them relax their shoulders while they eat some school-sponsored pizza and get to stop hiding for just a little bit. It sends the message that they are welcome and celebrated and equal to other students. It lets them know that while they are still going to experience a whole lot of rejection in the Orthodox community, there is a space in their own university, in their own community where they belong, where they can bring their whole selves, where they can just be. So, Uri, I know I just spoke for a long time. It wasn't just me, but still, I spoke for a long time. Um, before even moving on, I want to just get your perspective on that letter. Sure. Well, I mean... First of all, obviously, Dino was referring to something that I said uh, in the podcast. And if it hurt her or others, I, I apologize. Um, I guess I, I was saying two things. And the, the first thing was about there's no outward oppression happening at YU. And the second one was that students feel fine coming out. So obviously, the second one I shouldn't have said, because how do I know, first of all, who's in and who's out and how they feel and what's in their heads? OK, so that was definitely a dumb thing of me to say. Um, but where that was coming from was, yes, as she says, it's mostly alumni that I that I'm personally friends with um, many. Right. Um, but I mean, Rifki, you and I did go to that protest um, against right. YU a few years ago. I think it was 2019 about this same topic. And it was led by at that time, current out students. So like they're I definitely think one of them came out at the march. OK. And I don't think anything I don't think there were any uh, repercussions from the school. They obviously weren't expelled or, or anything like that. So I, I accept the I accept the critique and, and the feedback, and it definitely w- was not worded in the way that it should have been said. And I also guess I'll clarify and say that like if if people are saying and if students are saying, and we're going to hear some of their actual words. Like if they're saying they feel discriminated against or unsafe or whatever words that they use like it's not my place to to obviously uh, say that that's not how they're feeling um what i can say is from the other side that i have personally spoken obviously not to everybody but i I have some personal friends who are teachers and rabbis in yu and this is something that's spoken about a lot and i personally have only heard it from the sensitivity side of like regardless of what their thoughts are let's say on the club or other specific policy things like that everybody suspects that there could be uh, a gay student in their class and anybody with a brain speaks and tries to, at least to speak with that knowledge in mind and so I think that's where my comment was coming from but it was definitely not worded the way it should have been mm-hmm. so yeah so I hear what you're saying um I don't know I mean I I, I feel like in, in some ways like I am like the quintessential outsider like I didn't go to YU you know like I not LGBTQ, you know, like I, I care about the community, I, you know, friends and family, you know, like many of us, um, and I care about the YU community because I affiliate as part of the larger modern Orthodox world in, in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do feel like an outsider um, and I do feel like this isn't really my my conversation to have. Um, so I guess let, let, let's 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 start by kind of like starting by quoting a few of these students. This is one of the students. It says it's a Wilf student, which is the the general male campus, the one uptown in Washington Heights, class of 2023. And uh, we, we cut a little bit just for length, but I don't think we cut anything that changed the, the actual uh, story that the students were trying to tell. Many Rebbeim teachers, faculty, and students have told me things that have made me feel unsafe and have made me thankful that they do not know that I am one of the members of the community that they target, joke about, and express their anger and hate over. 
At YU, the presumption is that every single LGBTQ plus individual does not care about religion, that they are only trying to make a space for themselves, and they and themselves are in quotes, purely out of spite, and of course are consistently breaking halakha. For many LGBTQ plus students like myself, these assumptions are false, hurtful, isolating, and dangerous. So YU is absolutely not a welcoming place for me. Uri, the reason I, I'm reading this quote right now, and there are a million quotes, is because you just said, and I just want to, I'm trying to, I want to talk this out. You just said that anyone with a brain knows that there are going to be gay students in front of them when they're, you know, talking and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. this person, and a couple people said this, but I think this one was the clearest, that in conversation or in lectures, I'm not sure which one, these people, Rebbeim, teachers, faculty, and students, have made it clear that they don't know that they're talking to someone who is part of that community, or maybe they wouldn't use this language. Right. right? So Target, I, I, joke about, yeah. and express their anger and hate over. So I obviously believe this person. I, I, I would be very curious to know what was actually said, and I, I think the barometer or the um, you know, definition of homophobia or what could be offensive, what's not offensive, uh, can mean a lot of different things. And maybe it, it could be that the student took offense to it, rightly so, but the person who was saying it didn't think it was offensive. Like, you know, it was not a malicious thing. I, I have no idea. And obviously, I it could have been malicious. Who knows? I was saying that the people that I know that I've spoken to try to have sensitivity. It could even be one of these people that's my friend was the, was the rabbi he's talking about. I don't know. It's Again, it's all about perception and how you... Uh, take things. If this if this student says he doesn't feel that why is a welcoming place for him, that that feeling is valid. Like I'm not going to deny yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't trying to to challenge you. I'm just more trying to to figure out like what do you do from here? Like what do you like the way that you the way that you just phrased it? Like what do you do? What do you do if the the teachers and the rebbeim and the you know faculty and the students say I wasn't trying to be offensive. Well, like, listen, Rifki, I, like, I mean, what does that mean? I, I think there's, there's there's more of these quotes that, that we can read and I yeah. think are very important to read. But the very fact of why you denying the club itself could be interpreted as homophobia and threatening to, to students. And I, I guess it's understandable why someone might feel that. So like that alone, first of all, would be seen that way. And then anybody who is sympathetic to that viewpoint and is supporting YU, the school that they either attend or work for, could easily be in that category. Like maybe, I'm not saying that that I think that's what this person is referring to, but it could have been. And is that, you know, does that change anything if if that's what it is? Wait, I'm sorry. I don't think I understand. What this is a response is that the YU FAQ, right? This question was, does YU welcome LGBTQ students in its undergraduate schools? And it says, absolutely. We welcome, love, and care for all of our students and gave a few examples of the way that they do that. Right. Uh, we make sure that there's sensitivity training, blah, 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 blah. And then this student is saying, forget about the club, right? Because YU is saying, look, the club, that that's that's not, well, you know, the, the student club is doesn't own say thing, but we still embrace. Not, he doesn't I don't know, but, specifically. But, but what I'm saying is the, the YU is saying, okay, you, you don't have a club, you don't have a club. Fine. But we, you are very much part of our community. And here are the ways that we make sure that you're part of the community. We absolutely embrace members of the LGBTQ community. It's very important for us that there's no bullying, there's no this. And this person is saying, this person is not responding to the club. Well, they said, you don't know that. Rebellion, teachers, faculty, yeah. and students have told me things that have made me feel unsafe and made me thankful that they do not know that I am one of the members of the community that they target, joke about, and express their anger and hate over. At YU, the I don't. I don't need to move on. We already read it. Okay. But so you're saying yeah. that you think that the rebellion teachers, faculty, and students really what they're what is making this student feel unsafe is that they say, "I agree, there shouldn't be a club." I love LGBTQ students. They are very much part of like the student 
body at this university and I care for them and love them and they're very much like anyone else but I believe there shouldn't be a club you think that's what they're saying I, I don't think they said would say it in those words and I'm not trying to whitewash or defend any of the people that the student is referring to I'm just saying I'm just trying to think what could be at this, in 2022 right now given all the past history and, and the, the claims that have been brought against YU and whatever and the fact that this is everybody knows how sensitive this is I'm sure that the club itself being at the forefront and as you said everybody's talking about it I'm sure people are plenty of classrooms at YU are talking about it and it's understandable that a, a closeted LGBTQ or not closeted or whatever student hearing that conversation quote unquote about them could feel threatened and can feel unsafe, could feel any sort of negative word that you want to put in. That's very understandable. And I'm not denying that or belittling it. I'm just saying it's what's the logical conclusion? Is it saying that it's it's homophobic for somebody to be supporting YU here? Is it homophobic um, to be saying, I don't think there should be a club, regardless of what else you try to say about being welcoming and being, you know, anti-bullying and whatever. Like, I'm just saying that at a certain point, there's like, a clash that is a little bit irreconcilable. And I'm just trying to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I want to be sympathetic to everybody. Every time we get, I, I say we have an episode like this. We've had many of these episodes and then we get a response from, from a, our friend Dina or somebody else like that. It's very painful to me because I don't, I don't do this podcast to upset anybody. I'm just trying to yeah. understand issues. And I, a lot of these people are my friends. The feedback that we get are, people that I, that I care about a lot. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm just trying to... And I, my point, I guess, what I'm saying is that I don't think the people at YU are malicious. They could be mistaken. They could be saying things that are very hurtful without realizing it. When the school sends out that email and says, we are welcoming to LGBTQ students, and then the students say, hey, but we don't feel welcomed, they can both be telling the truth, quote unquote. Like, the students don't feel welcome, but the school is trying to say that we actually do welcome you. Why can't those both be true in some way? Because welcomed does not mean anything if the people you are trying to welcome think that it's not welcoming, right? Like so if you come to my house, correctly. if you come to my house and I kick you in the leg and I say <laughs> that's my definition of welcoming, sorry if you don't feel it is, that doesn't make me right and it's not like we have different perspectives. Right. Like the fact that I am w welcoming, quote unquote, you with a way that is painful to you means by definition it is not welcoming. Well, so for okay. YU to yeah. say this, like, do you think that Ari Berman and YU, I, I mean, I, I hope so. But do you think that Ari Berman and YU see the responses to this and say to themselves, wow, we are we are totally wrong. We think well, I hope we're they being see welcoming the and like, shoot, actually, we need to be changing our approach completely. I do hope they see the responses and I, I hope they think about it and incorporate that into their moving forward their their uh you know decisions i mean the, the kicking the leg thing obviously is is an exaggerated and un, not analogous uh example i mean i think it what it gets I, down to and I, right, I, I that's meant to be okay okay no but i think what we can maybe talk about briefly because I, I we you know we spoke about it before we can try to hypothesize what is going through the administration's heads what is their intention what are they actually thinking and i think yeah. that's relevant it might not be the most important thing because the actual result of their decision might be the most important thing but it is definitely i think relevant to, oh, to think about that question I, th I think it's critical and so and there's a big um, difference between being malicious and trying to be sensitive to people i th even if the result ends up being hurtful i do think there's a difference in the intention I, I, I totally agree. I think if the intention is to say, hey, screw you, you don't belong as part of our community, it's way worse than if they're inadvertently saying that. You're you're right that they're, you know, at the end of the day, still, you know, these students <laughs> these students are given kind of like nowhere to turn, but I do think that the intention do, does make a difference. I, I think I'm with you on that. Um, 
it's it's actually interesting. And with that, I want to quote quote another student. Um, and this is actually kind of related. This is a, a Barron student, which is the the campus downtown class of twenty twenty four. Quote, I cannot know what is in the hearts and minds of the people behind YU, the institution, but I know my own experience, and it sure doesn't feel like they accept their LGBTQ students. I know that I have heard rabbis make homophobic statements casually in the middle of shurim when they are unrelated or insignificant to the matter at hand. I know that everyone at YU is assumed to be heterosexual and talk about queer people like they couldn't possibly be in the room. And this is the line, Uri, that I think is really, really important. I know that there is no one at YU who is teaching me how to build my queer Jewish future. And that one, Uri, I, I don't know about you, but to me, of the video, of all the comments, of everything that I've been reading in the past few weeks, that one felt like a punch in the gut to me. Because that, to me, feels like the real question. What does YU want for the future of these students? Because I know what YU wants for the future of you or me. Right. When they look at us, when we were, let's say, 21, 22, they were like, OK, we want to like if I had gone to YU and you did go to YU, I think it feels pretty, pretty posture to me. They wanted us to succeed. And what does that look like? They want us to have careers that we feel happy and fulfilled. We make enough money. We marry someone that we love. We have children who we support and consent to Jewish day school. We want like we want to build a community together in the modern Orthodox world. We believe in, in building a stronger future as a community with our families, with our careers years what does why you want for these kids and I, I don't think either of us knows the answer but let's 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 play that game let's say if i'm why you what am i thinking what do you think why you want that, what's the end goal for these kids that is the ultimate question and i don't to be honest i don't know if they know the answer in their own heads like do you know anybody who has a good answer to that i mean can you a point, good answer can you point to an Sorry. orthodox institution that that has a good answer to that? No, I think you're exactly right. I think orthodoxy has not figured out what to do. And th- some orthodox shuls and some orthodox schools are a little bit better at this, right? You have some schools that um, accept totally, totally fine um, the kids who come out of gay relationships, gay marriages, gay partnerships. You have some shuls that will accept them as members, not just as members as individuals, but as members as couples, which mm-hmm. honestly is rarer than I think we, we would all think. Um, and but even that it doesn't feel like it's like really like there are so many shuls honestly i can't think of any shuls where they're fully 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 accepted as like just a regular part of the jewish community what about you um yeah offhand i i don't know either and that doesn't make it better to that but yu is definitely not alone in their you know, confusion or I don't know what the right word would be of not knowing what to do. And then it also gets to, what, again, what we talk about many times is the difference between acceptance and celebration of it's one, you know, like they said, they don't ask you on the on the uh, application, are you gay or not, obviously, but they the way they would say it. And there is one letter that I, I wanted to read, um, just yeah. giving the why the, the is perspective that about how they how they might see the pride club um, in a br- slightly broader than just strict halacha. This was something that was written by Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, who's a, a communal rabbi in Florida. I don't think he has any official uh, affiliation with YU, like he doesn't teach at YU, but he's very much in the YU community. And um, it's a little bit unfortunate that I, I think the best statement made about this was not from like the president of YU or some or a rabbi at YU is from somebody slightly out of the picture of YU, but maybe 
that makes sense because they're so scared to get in trouble and say the wrong thing that they're maybe just too scared to say anything like this. It's funny that you say the best statement. Like, it feels like it's maybe the most kind of accurate portrayal of what they think. Well, I don't think it's like a strong I'm not statement. saying it's the best statement ever, but I, I think it's honest and, and describes where they're coming from. He says, We must be sensitive to the struggles of those who are trying to fit into multiple worlds, including attempting to reconcile their orientation or identity with a halachically observant lifestyle. Nevertheless, it is simply unreasonable for students in a yeshiva even one that has a secular university component, to expect to be allowed to have a club that, no matter the intention, at its core enables the celebration or pride in an activity and a recognition of relationships that the Torah unequivocally prohibits. Of course, it is reasonable for students in every yeshiva to expect to be treated respectfully and to not be bullied or harassed for any reason. The Torah only addresses homosexuality as a verb, a forbidden act, not as a noun, an identity. A yeshiva is a space that those drawn to and struggling with actions that the Torah provides guidance for can grapple and grow and find love and support. It is not an environment that someone publicly taking pride in an identity the Torah doesn't recognize will find the response and support that they are looking for. Why you should be commended and supported for seeking to simultaneously maintain the two truths. Bullying and mistreating is unacceptable and intolerable, and the Torah rejects the notion of homosexuality as an identity, nor an activity associated with pride. Saying all people should be treated with respect, but a pride club at yeshiva is incompatible and a non-starter doesn't make me insensitive or a bigot. It makes me loyal to multiple values that are compatible and that I believe Hashem wants us to equally maintain. So I'm not saying that I personally agree with that because I've said every time we've talked about this that I think the club should be allowed and that it would be fine and not endanger why use religious identity. However, I think he's making a fair point. He acknowledges that halakhically, strictly speaking, the Torah doesn't doesn't uh, address the identity of of being gay or LGBTQ. It's just talking about the act. But what he extrapolates, and what I don't think is that unreasonable, is that while these students should be completely embraced and accepted as people and should obviously not be harassed, just the very name of the club, the YU Pride Alliance, he's saying this is not something that a yeshiva can can officially take pride in. I think... Again, not that I would say it in those words, but I think that's a reasonable uh, explanation for where YU is coming from. Yeah, I mean, I I feel almost like silly arguing against that because it feels so obviously a poor argument to me and I'd be happy to discuss it if, if I'd be happy to discuss it with Ephraim Goldberg on the show and, and see if like maybe I'm misunderstanding his argument uh, to me it feels like such a such a weak argument right if the Torah addresses homosexuality as a verb and not as an identity and the group is about identity and not about a forbidden homosexual act right not about gay male sex then why is the group a problem? Pride alliance is pride and identity. The Torah doesn't address that, so this has nothing to do with Torah. Like it, it feels okay, like a really a logical fallacy. It's not not about the act. It's just not that's not the point of it, and that's not why not. Fifty percent, presumably, of the students involved are women. Okay, they're not involved. Okay, then you. I, I'm, I'm genuinely like it. it actually, the, so you don't. The th- only I'm just curious, people. Okay, right. The only. The only act. The only. Sorry, the only people who would even potentially be involved in an act that is considered an isser is a, is a fairly small percentage of this group. Okay, so again, Rivka, do you, do you can you accept or understand why somebody would make the case that this is about more than just strict halacha? It's about culture and it's about associations. 
Like not there's plenty of things yes. that uh, there's plenty of things at YU that are allowed yes. or not allowed that yes. are, have nothing uh, to do with un- halacha. Understandable, except that it is about identity, and that's what makes it fundamentally different, right? Like this is not about a hobby that people like to take part in, and they and the they think oh the hobby goes against the values that we have a, as a university care about, right? And the example that YU brought is comparing it to like a gun club, right? Where they're like no we do not like the idea of having a gun club being associated with our campus. It's it goes against the Yeshiva University values. Therefore, we are not going to allow a gun club. I think that analogy is a really poor analogy because this is not about an activity that they all bond against. Right. That they all bond around, that it kind of like connects them, that the to- that the school is uncomfortable with. This is something. This is it's like saying, you know, we don't want to have, we don't want to have a a women club. We don't want to have like whatever. And well, I hundred no, exactly I hundred percent agree that is a yeah. I, I but think I think see, that's what makes yeah. it fundamentally different. Yes, I agree that it's about. Well, that's larger a separate values, point, though. I but think it that's seems a separate like point. the argument that they're making is that the larger value that they're rejecting is the identity, which is what's odd about his argument that the Torah doesn't actually address. No, the identity. but again, he's not rejecting the. They're not rejecting the identity they're rejecting the the official sanctioning of pride in the identity which if you want to interpret they as reject- chose that name to make it more palatable to the university i don't think that's true i i have a recollection of the school in their attempt for compromise saying if we call it something else we'd be more likely to okay allow so we'll it. have someone who's in who okay. is more involved because I, I think the so we'll name is more involved deliberate yeah okay but and that that's not my understanding Okay, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about that either. But I, I agree, by the way, 100% that any comparison you make for this issue to any other issue is going to be offensive and it's going to not be helpful. And so in that email, it was the gun club and the fraternity as examples of clubs that they denied in the past. Right. And much worse than that was the like sort of comparison to like a Jews for Jesus um, club. I don't remember yeah. exactly how that came up, but it's like th- that offended me because that's like how that actually made me laugh well i was like embarrassed for them yeah i was was like who 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 proofread this to to allow (laughs) that to to go through i think it's a unique issue and uh you know i've seen this so many times anytime you try to compare it to anything else within halacha or just in general like it's just never helpful so on that i totally agree with you but let's take a step back, just because I don't want to just have the same conversation that we've had on this topic in the past. And I'll reiterate again, we really, I think, stand in mostly the same place on in our personal um, opinions on this. I mostly take this side in, in, in these conversations, A, to make things more intellectually interesting of like understanding what's going on and and what's and and also because i get a little bit defensive because i i think yu is a very important institution and i don't like to see them uh you know demonized too much um but i think they are making a huge mistake here but but i'll just ask you like is the expectation that yu's policy and club and whole you know treatment of lgbtq students should it be identical to let's say nyu and columbia university like is it expected that to be to be not homophobic, to be accepting and welcoming, it should be the same as it is there? Or is there an Orthodox Jewish angle where it's understandable that it can't be that? Or at least it's understandable that it wouldn't be that? I don't know what happens at other campuses, so it's hard for me to, to answer that. Like, I really, I don't know enough about it. Um, but I, it seems reasonable to me that just like any other student group, YU's flavor would look a little bit different. Like, I'm very comfortable with that. Um, I don't know that that means but, restrictions from the university, but like, yeah, the same way, like there are like, I'm thinking of like, you know, uh, a student newspaper, right? Like you might be, 
kind of careful about halachot that are going to be related to the student newspaper in a way that the NYU student newspaper is not going to care about. So sure, that might be, you know, relevant. Sure. Okay, I mean... Uh, what, what do you think? Well, that's... I, I don't know at what point it would be... Like, what would a compromise look like is, I guess, part of the question. Like, what? how far could... Like, I think there definitely are things that YU would be able to bend on if they thought... If they weren't worried about, like, let's say, a slippery, slippery slope type of thing. Like, what is YU allowed to say is our, our religious lines on this issue versus a secular school. It it feels like a lot of people would want the exact same thing, which I think is unfair. I mean, I don't know enough about YU to be able to answer that, but I'm a little bit confused. Like, the YU basketball team has members, and YU basketball team is basketball has nothing to do with halacha, right? The same way gay identity is not about halacha. Basketball is not about halacha. You have members of the YU basketball team who, in interviews, talk very publicly about not being observant, okay. right? They're not halachic. They're not Shabbos observant. Oh, there's tons of but students at YU that don't wear a kippah and that whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, there are, I think there are l- rules, according to the school, about whether you have to keep Shabbos in the dorms or like things like that. Um, but by and large, the way people practice is considered to be private, right? Course, Even if yeah. they're public about it, but it's about their individual okay. choice. So I'm not sure same why thing goes here. different. The same thing the goes club, here. Yeah. The cl- right, they, that's they, what I'm saying. I'm they saying would never schedule club, a basketball game on Shabbos and they would never like, you know, right. have the school so pay for not kosher food. That's what I'm saying. I'm okay. saying that so the, if there are like limitations within, you know, orthodoxy because it's a YU, you, it's a YU club, then the club shouldn't be allowed to order a non-kosher pizza and the club should not be allowed to have meetings on Shabbos. And the, like, I, I, I don't think I really understand the question. What? It should be the same as any other club at the university. No, the question is on this particular issue. They shouldn't be able to have gay male sex at meetings. But, okay, no, so again, so we're just, <laughs> I, that, that, I genuinely no, that don't understand the our, question. No, so that you're harping on the, the strict halacha, and so that's our that's the difference here. That's the miscommunication but I'm that saying we're having. The, no, but I'm saying the same way the basketball team— They believe—okay. The, the kids are—not all of the kids. Several of the kids are publicly not from, and that's not a problem because that's how they live in their own lives— this the same way and the same way this that if club one of the basketball should exist exactly no, the same I don't see and the that kids, connection at all if, if so, one so, of the basketball so, so make the argument well if one of the basketball players was was out and gay it would be the same thing as if he didn't wear a keeper or whatever in court, in terms of the school's policies and whatever it right, would be no issue but you asked issue. the question about how the club should be okay, treated differently okay. so so let me let why me ask would the him. club be treated differently than basketball the answer to that is I'll phrase it in another question um mm-hmm. Your understanding of this issue in Judaism and in halacha is that it's there's no problem whatsoever with having this club and it doesn't violate halachic or Jewish norms and culture. Okay, what if the administ- does it violate Jewish norms or culture? Well, I mean, some Jewish norms and culture. Okay, no, so different w- people have different norms. Of different course, have well, different that's culture. A, that's exactly it. So, what if the administration at YU determines that they make the rules for their school and they say, from a Jewish meta halachic uh, standpoint, where it's not just about the strict halacha; it's about whatever other determinations they bring in, environment, culture, hashkafa, philosophy. They say that having this club, calling it the, the Pride Alliance Club and having it officially sanctioned by the school, we feel that that violates our Jewish values. Like, and which is what they say. So I would say, and you're okay, saying great. it doesn't violate. And you're, what, okay. No, no, I'm not saying it's not. I would say, great, thank you for clarifying. What is the Jewish value that you are violating? Would love to hear more. Well, that I would love to hear that also. I wish they would say it like, m- more, but... Yeah, I agree. 
But let's. Meaning, but that like, is of what they say. Of course, there are meta values that are not just no. That, that's not. They're saying no, no, no. Yeah, they're saying this club um, is, is does not fit within our structure. We love LGBTQ students. Here are the examples. And from what I understand from alums of the university, all the examples they give are things that LGBTQ students had to push for for years, and finally, begrudgingly, the school gave it to them, and now they turn around and talk about it as their pride and joy of like, oh, okay. we as a university are so proud that yes, we do this. For fair you. point. But meaning, like the the school is not like this bastion of like this incredible environment for LGBTQ students, right? Like, well, nobody's so what saying is that. the value that this club, I mean, why you is saying that? They're, but they, they're saying is, it's a bastion for LGBTQ students. I mean, they're not using that word, but they're saying absolutely we treat them exactly they're, like they're saying else, if right? they're we saying the if letter. somebody they're saying if somebody knows what YU stands for and they want to come to our school and they are openly LGBTQ, we will gladly accept them. I think that is what they're saying. They're not saying if that's what they were saying, that would be pathetic. But I, like that would be really like bad. But I think they're saying way more than that. Right. Let's let's read it out loud again. Right. We welcome love and care for all of our students, including our LGBTQ students. We place a specific emphasis of importance on supporting our LGBTQ students. And then they give a bunch of examples. OK. Right. Like they're saying I, LGBTQ students. Oh, my God. You wouldn't. They are completely, completely part of the community here. I think that's saying that. We acknowledge that this is a vulnerable or sensitive group, and we are doing everything within our the limits of what we see as what we're able to do to support them. I don't think that is saying, hey, if you're LGBTQ, this is the place for you. This is where you want to be because this is where you're going to be able to flourish in, in your best possible way. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what they're saying. But from the other side, I think students coming to YU are aware of what YU is and stands for. And should it be attempted to be changed? Very possibly. I'm not saying things shouldn't be attempted to, you know, we shouldn't try to change things, but like that is what they are and they've never hidden that. And it's even this club specifically, like we were at that protest in 2019. It's now 2022, almost 2023. The school stance is basically the exact same as it was then. So that's not, it's not a secret. Listen, Rifki, I, I feel the way I feel uh, at the, towards the end of every single episode that we've done on this topic where like, I'm like, okay, who have I offended? Who's going to be mad at me? Um, what did I say that was stupid? All, all of those things. I wish I didn't. I, I honestly prefer not to even talk about these things, especially because I don't agree with YU on this at all. And, and if I did agree with them, I would say I really would. And I don't agree yeah. with them. It's just that I, I think that side has to be stated and we, I think it's important to at least try to understand what's going through their heads. And in their interpretation of Jewish values and the school's Jewish values, publicly acknowledging this club as the Pride Alliance goes against those values. And they don't, first of all, so therefore they won't accept the club. And, and second of all, if it's being forced on them by an outside entity being this, this judge or this court... I understand why they got defensive. I thought I think that would have been the perfect opportunity to say, hey, we tried and we're now we're being forced, as has happened with similar issues in the past with the school um, on other matters and, and other matters related to this also. So that would have been their perfect out, I think. And they could have saved face on, to some extent and they chose to take it to the next level or a few levels up, which I think is a terrible mistake. Um, but at the same time, I still think that they are human beings. They're sensitive people. Most, many, if not all of them, really do care about the students, all the students. And they're doing their best. Their best not, might not be that great. But I do think, I think they're trying. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I, 
I agree that trying to understand the quote unquote other side, it's not like it's other side. It's not like it's me against them. But I do think, you know, generally, I think both of us and I think most people in our generation are more inclined to just be um, just to relate more strongly to the, the side mm-hmm. of the students here. Um, I feel very, very comfortable, comfortable with that. I think it's the, the right side to relate to if we're going to relate to one. But I, I agree with you that it's very, very important to try to understand everyone's perspective here. I think at the end of the day, I think what the most important thing that I, I think you said, Uri, is that YU is a stand-in for the larger modern Orthodox community here. And that modern Orthodox community is really struggling in figuring out how to include these people. Right. Like I feel like I know many, many, many people who have come out in the last, you know, 15 years or like since we were Mm -hmm. in college. Um, Some of them are still from most of them are not still traditionally modern Orthodox observant, even the ones who were, you know, kind of the the poster children back then. There are a few. There are a few who definitely still are. Um, Mm -hmm. But. You know, the people who are not from it's and I will I will say not only are the most of those people not from, there are many people who I feel very close to and you know, honestly I relate to it very, very strongly. People who are not members of the LGBTQ community, but people who feel so strongly tied to this particular issue that it also changes their observance level and the way that they relate to God and the way that they relate to Halacha and the way that they think of modern orthodoxy. And mm-hmm. modern orthodoxy and orthodoxy in general needs to figure this out or they will continue to to lose people who really feel like this is a really, really important position. I, I, kind of like me included. Like, they can't just be like, oh, uh, no club. Like, the, <laughs> you guys, you want to stand for something? You want to be the leaders? This is, like, embarrassing. So, like, I, that's to me, like, to I don't know. It just feels, like, so, so, so upset. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Pathetic. Yeah, well, I 100% agree that if they're going to take this stance that they know is very hurtful to a lot of people and that they know is so controversial, the least they can do is articulate exactly why they're taking that stance. What is the what are the values that are at stake here? Um, and and really just talking about that at length, and they've barely talked about it at all, which is very very upsetting. Well, of course, uh, what, a, what, a, what a note to end on. But of course, the conversation does not end with us. And we hope that we hope that you listening to this episode feel like this conversation is for you, too, because we really, really, really want to hear from you. And I, and I say this, you know, 10 times more, especially those of you who are current students at YU. We really, really, really want to hear from you. And you know what? Ari Berman, we're always waiting. Please, please join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Dachas Podcast. And of course, shoot us a message, Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Drive In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Tachlis. Bye, everyone. Zagazunt. Zagazunt.